Shall we kneel for our morning prayer? Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your many blessings and wonderful love to us, which we especially remember this time of year when we are celebrating Christmas. We ask that you may be with us in a special way as we worship today. There are so many things that we see in the world that tell us that the end and your soon coming is very close. We see disasters, we see crimes, we see all the things that we've been told about in the Bible as signs that we are getting close to that time when you will uh, end it all and start a new phase, and that's of our life forever with you. Give us opportunity to witness to those around us. There are many in the world who are searching but have no idea what will really give them peace of mind and give them happiness. Use us, if you can, to help them understand what it is. We're thankful for this church and the warmth here, and we pray that we all together as a family may show love one to another, that we may uh, come to the place where we are able to shine out in the community as you would want us to. Be with those who are sick today. Be with those who maybe could not come here today because of no transportation or because of different and various reasons. Give them a Sabbath blessing also. As we were talking in Sabbath school class about what a blessing it is to come to your house to worship you. Be with Kevin in a special way as he brings us his thoughts. May they remind us more of your love for us and and what we need in our lives. And we're also thankful that we can go through this communion today to renew our vows to worship and to follow you who gave us us your life and your blood on the cross to save us from our sins. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The opening song today is uh, number 73, Holy, Holy, Holy.
It's, uh, it's a part of the worship service now where we give back to God. And uh, God is so good to us that it's good to give back. Sacrificial giving, it always costs us something. And it is designed by God to develop characters that are safe to save. A constant and prayerful vigilance is needed to guard against our natural selfish tendencies. Today's offering is for the world budget, today's loose offering, and, and the inner city work. Inner, inner city work is one of the recipients of this offering. Will the deaconesses come forward for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us each and every week. And Lord, as we, as we give back to you, Lord, let us do this humbly and take the offerings that we, were about, that we were about to give and multiply them so that many people may be touched in this community and throughout the world. And Lord, we pray today in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles with me, we'll have our scripture reading that goes with the sermon today. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up 
between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And in my note, it says that the word Ebenezer literally means stone of help. Merry Christmas. It's that time of year. I came over here and I stole some needles off your tree and I crushed them up and I sniffed them. I just love the smell of that. Right now we have a fake tree in our house and I'm trying to convince my wife that we also need a real one so we can smell it. It's that time of year when we tell the story of old Ebenezer Scrooge. What a great story. That man who had grown so cold and selfish and isolated that nobody liked him anymore. And his name, Ebenezer, as Paul just mentioned, means stone of help. And, of course, that comes from our scripture reading in uh, 712. Anybody here from Jefferson County? Anybody ever live in Jefferson County? Have you? Have you ever been to Ebenezer? There's a community in Wisconsin, in Jefferson County, down near Fort Atkinson somewhere, or Watertown, called Ebenezer, Ebenezer, Wisconsin. The story of Ebenezer Scrooge is a story, ultimately, of revival, of restored relationships. But of course, in order for there to be restoration of anything, there must have been an original that deteriorated And after Scrooge's restoration, there remains hope of lasting change for the future. Some of you will recall George Carlin, the comedian, talking about words like restoration. He was talking to a friend of his, he said, and his friend was working on a table. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm refinishing this table. Well, don't you have to restart first? Playing with words, as George Carlin always did. If you're restoring something, you are, what was it first? It was an original. Let's leave it at that. There was something original that deteriorated that needed to be restored. And that's the Scrooge plot. An original, the original Scrooge as he grew up as a boy. And then the deterioration over the years as he became selfish, as he became cold and isolated, unfeeling. And then the restoration. And all of us who watch the story or read the story are left with hope for the future, that he's forever changed. It'll never be like it was again. How appropriate. What a great Christmas story. His name is drawn from the story of the children of Israel in 1 Samuel 7. And we're going to go there and, uh, and follow that story a little bit. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. But let me set this up for you just a little bit. The, uh, the children of Israel are living in the promised land. They are in the land of milk and honey. We remember how they got there and how the Lord uh, drove out their enemies before them. And so that's the original in this story. Living in the promised land. That's the original. But of course there is a deterioration. And it's quite a deterioration as we see going on over and over with the children of Israel. But this one is pretty substantial because they're battling with the Philistines in the first few chapters of this, of this uh, book of Samuel. 
And as we get into the uh, into some of the battles, the children of Israel can't understand why God is letting this happen to them. And sort of on their own, without going to God for counsel, they send um, uh, the two priests to go get the ark and bring it with them to battle. You know, there were very strict rules about how they were to approach the ark and what they were to use it for and how it was to be carried and all of these kinds of things. They just decided on their own they were going to go get it and bring it to battle. And disaster resulted, including the theft of the Ark of the Covenant. Now that's pretty bad. Young people, how many of you have ever played Capture the Flag? Well, the old people are raising their hand. Not many of the young people are. Capture the Flag. Israel's flag has been captured. What is the Ark of the Covenant to them? It is the symbol of everything. It is God's glory with them. It is, the, it is the symbol of faith for them. It has been captured, taken away by the other side. And you can imagine how that would affect Israel. And so they're having some tough times. Of course, Philistines don't want the Ark because it's causing problems for them. So they send it back. And the, and the children of Israel don't know what to do with it because they're not treating it properly. And it's causing all kinds of problems for them. In my Bible, it makes this comment. It says, Israel mourned, wow, that's small print, Israel mourned and and sorrow gripped the nation for 20 years. The ark was put away like an unwanted box in an attic. Put away like an unwanted box in an attic to be forgotten. So that's where they are now. They had their original, they have deteriorated, they have fallen away, and things are not good. The ark is being stored like a box in the attic. I recall when I was a young child that, uh, of course, I had my Tonka toys that I loved playing in the sandbox with, but when I left one out somewhere, like in front of a doorstep or something like that, my parents would pick it up and they would put it in a trunk, with this big trunk, and they had the key to the trunk and it would just disappear. It was just gone. I left my toy out. They they never said anything to me. They didn't say they took my toy and put it in the trunk. It just would be gone. And I would forget about it. It would be like that box in the attic. But oh, let me tell you, a couple times a year when they opened that trunk, it was like Christmas all over again. It was better than Christmas because at Christmas you get a present that you have no relationship with. But when that trunk was open, it was, my Jeep! That gee, I remember that. Oh, and you know, you know what I'm saying? Because you have an attachment to that kind of thing, and there was a restoration in that. And that's what we're due for with the children of Israel because the ark is being stored away like a box. They're ready, just ready for this restoration. And the restoration occurs. Start in chapter, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 3. It says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts and you put away these foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, that was part of the problem, that was part of the deterioration, these foreign gods that had come in, and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children put away the bales and the asterisks and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. 
Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And uh, continuing on, they go through, I'm jumping ahead to verse 11. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah, out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth In other words, the children of Israel had a great victory. And in verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. That's the new King James. Thus far the Lord has helped us. He names his stone Ebenezer. He sets the stone up between all of these bad things that have happened. in the past. They had the original, but they deteriorated. So the stone is set up between that deterioration time, that box in the attic time, and the future. But right here, he says, thus far, God has helped us. What does that mean? Thus far, God has helped us. Let me try to put that in some perspective. There is an implication there when he says that for what's going to happen in the future. Try to word it like this. Well, God's been faithful so far. The implication is, why wouldn't he be in the future? Up to this point, God's been a great help to us. The implication is, so why wouldn't he be for the future? God got us this far. God will get us the rest of the way. It implies the future. It is almost like that quote, that often repeated quote from Ellen White that says, we have nothing to fear for the future. Except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and is teaching in our past history. That's the Ebenezer. That's the stone. That portion between the future, the hope of the future and the past and how God has gotten us to to where we are. How do we do that, though? She says, we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget the past. How do we make sure we don't forget the past? Samuel did it by erecting an Ebenezer. From the dictionary, the word monument, definition of the word monument, from the Latin word monumentum, or memorial, which literally means something that reminds, something that reminds. It has a sense of structure or edifice to commemorate a notable person, action, or event. Last Sabbath, uh, Carla and I were in uh, the D.C. area, and we spent Sabbath with the Hamases, Stephen Denise Hamas, who many of you know, most of you probably know. And uh, the day before Sabbath, we went to the battlefield of Antietam. Now, I'm not a great Civil War historian. I know a little bit about this and that, but uh, I didn't really know anything about Antietam. I'd heard the name. I could spell it. But I didn't know much about this battlefield until I went there. Antietam is the site of the bloodiest day in American history. No other day compares to the day the battle was fought at Antietam. Now, you know about Gettysburg. I'll talk about that in a second here. But Antietam was a one-day battle. One day. 
and 23,000 Americans died. The population of Nina died in one day over these 200 acres or so at Antietam. And we spent the day there, and I can tell you, there are many Ebenezers at Antietam. There are Ebenezers to colonels. There are Ebenezers to a cavalry unit. There is an Ebenezer to a particular corps that marched here, that died here. And you know about Gettysburg. More than, or the estimate, nobody knows for sure how many died at Gettysburg. It was terrible. Nobody really can even get a count on it. But somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 people died in a three-day battle in July at Gettysburg. 50,000 people. That's the bloodiest battle ever for America. And there are monuments there too. The monuments that are everywhere saying, don't forget. Talk about it. Think about it. Pass it on to the next generation. All of those Ebenezers calling us to do that. Abraham Lincoln in his favorite, famous Gettysburg Address as they were making Gettysburg a bit of an Ebenezer uh, said these words. Uh, this is a, an excerpt. We are met on a great battlefield of war. We have come to dedicate a portion of this field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives so that our nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it. Far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. The world can never forget what happened at Gettysburg. What a tragedy that would be if the world forgot what happened at Gettysburg. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us here to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. The experience at Ebenezer for Samuel and the children of Israel, <clears throat> unfortunately, was not unique. Oh, they, they would go through this process of original deterioration, restoration, hope for the future, over and over, like a roller coaster ride. There was one in particular that I would like you to look at that happened before this. You will find it in the book of Joshua. If you back up to chapter 4 in the book of Joshua, and again, setting the stage, the children of Israel have been led to the Jordan River, getting ready to cross over into the promised land. They had an original. They had a miraculous delivery from Egypt, walked through the Red Sea, manna from the heavens, water from the rock, pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day, God with them. That was their original. And when they got to Canaan and they saw the giants in the land, 
they lost heart. They had their deterioration for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now here they are at the Jordan River in its restoration time. I'm reading uh, from Joshua 4. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feast stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And then Joshua called the twelve men, and he tells them, and they do that, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you that when your children uh, ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stories shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. He told them to grab stones to build an Ebenezer as a memorial, as a monument to that restoration point where they're going from the deterioration through the restoration with hope to the future. And there stands the Ebenezer, not just for them, for their children, for their grandchildren, for whoever comes along here and says, what's up with these stones? Oh, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story because we should never forget how God has led us in the past. Those who fail to learn from history we know are doomed to repeat it. And we don't want to be wandering in the wilderness again. The original, the deterioration, the restoration, the hope for the future. Let me ask you, Christians, which one of those seasons are you in right now? You individually, personally, your own faith. Are you at that original first love point, that excitement? Are you at the point of deterioration? Is your faith packed in a trunk or in an attic like a box? Are you deteriorating in faith bit by bit, wandering in the wilderness? Does it feel like your faith has been captured? Are you at the point of restoration? Have you just had a miraculous parting of the waters, a new victory? Or are you even beyond that, enjoying the hope for the future? Today is is communion. And communion has qualities of Ebenezer. It's a reminder of how God has led us thus far. He's been with us to this point, And he'll be with us into the future. It is a call to assess where our faith is. It is really a mini restoration that gives us hope for the future. Communion is not about rededicating this building. Communion is not about redesigning our corporate worship rituals. Communion is something very personal. I quote again from the Gettysburg Address. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work. How do we not become scrooges of faith? One of the important ways that we avoid becoming scrooges of faith is by keeping the Ebenezer's of faith. 
Do you have a monument? Are there monuments in your life? Maybe you never put a stone up. But there's some places in your life where God has worked some intervention, has done something for you that you best not forget. So here's my challenge to you today. As we go to communion, I want you to participate in communion as you normally do. I want you to pray with the person that you're doing the ordinance of humility with. I want you to share. But as you're sharing, I want you to do this. I challenge each one of you to do this. Tell that person, your partner in the ordinance of humility, about an Ebenezer in your life. Share openly. Voice it. Say it. Put it into the room about God, how God has miraculously worked in your life. Because I know they're in every, he's got that in every one of your lives. We all have the stories we could tell about how God came and intervened in our lives, how he led. He may have said no about something that we wanted to say yes to, but it changed our lives. He may have said yes about something we wanted him to say no to, but it changed our lives. You've all got Ebenezer's, and I want you to share them today as we do our ordinance of humility as part of our communion service. Pray with me. Father in heaven, you have given us great examples. We read about Joshua and the children of Israel, Samuel. Great stories. There's so much richness and depth that we can learn from them. And today, as we look at these Ebenezers, these monuments, these memorials that were used, to remind them of how you led them. Help us to take a lesson from that. Help us to see how you have led in our lives. Help us not to be afraid to look backward at how you have worked so miraculously in our lives, how you have led, how you have guided, you kept your, your protective hand over us. And at times we, we couldn't understand what was going on and, and then all of a sudden we see it in clarity as we look back and we see how marvelous your leading has been in our lives. Help us never to lose sight of how you have led us to where we are. Today is our Ebenezer. You have brought us thus far. And we know you will go the rest of the way with us. Bless us as we break for our communion service, Father, and be with us. Share with us. Fill us with your glory and your presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.